Hi, this is Amanda Dolan, and welcome to The Mental Society. Today, I'm joined by Stephen Moff. Stephen is a father, mental health advocate, recovering addict, horse trainer, and author. In his new book, It's an Inside Job Kid, he tells his story of trauma, childhood abuse, substance use, mental illness, treatment, and recovery. He wrote this book for those who, like him, have struggled with trauma, alcohol and drug abuse, and mental illness. By sharing his humorous, ironic, and tragic story, he helps to inspire others and help them recognize their own resilience. So, Stephen, thank you so much for being here with me today and being willing to share your story. Well, thank you, Amanda. It's nice to be here, and thank you for... uh allowing me to speak with you and your audience. I just want to make one correction there. Uh, I wasn't a horse trainer. Uh, I oh. would have, my, my. Uh, I think best way to describe me is a horse groomer and caretaker. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Training, okay. there were some, I, I was actually would have been learning how to train horses during okay. the height of what I was doing, but most of the time it was horse care. And that was part of your recovery, right? Like working with horses. Uh, yeah. And... Oh, yeah. I would definitely uh, consider that part of my um, uh, recovery because after graduating college and leaving New York, I was alone. Uh, when I came out here, I'd been divorced. My kids had been to college. So I was on my own. And, you know, there, there's a certain amount of loneliness you feel traveling around the country, Uh as I did. And I went to different horse ranches, wherever I was asked to work, I went and, and I got to see a lot of the country, but with those horses, uh, I, it, it taught me a lot about myself. It taught me about patience. It taught me about love. Uh, mm -hmm. I learned a lot of things from caring for the horses who had been a lot of them, which I worked with, uh, had been abused, not all of them, but there was a number of uh, ranches that I worked at where they were abused. I think horses can be very, I mean, most animals, but I think horses in particular can be very in tune with the human emotions of the humans around them. Very much so. They mirror your feelings. They feel, you know, we have an aura that extends so far from our body. Horses pick that up. Of course, we pick that up from them, but they're more in tune to something like that. And they know if you, if you go in a bad mood and you're working with the horses, they're going to pick it up and they're not going to want to be around you. If you're agitated or feeling, you know, irritable, they're going to be irritable. So they pick up on that. Yep. I think that, that you know, having your emotions mirrored can be really great. I mean, it can be a struggle sometimes, too, if you're trying to get through something and somebody is mirroring what you're trying to get through. But I also think like having something to care for outside of yourself yes. can be really beneficial. It gives you almost a purpose when you're not yep. feeling like you have a very purposeful life. Yep. And when I was when I was in um, uh, AA, uh that the one thing that I do remember and I've always held close to me is uh, when you're feeling sorry for yourself, uh, when you're self-pity, you go and help others. It gets you out of it. It makes mm -hmm. you a better person and it teaches you a lot about yourself. You, you help others, oh. serve others. And it, it does. And it can be so hard, especially when you're like in the depths of that despair, just getting out of your bed sometimes can be. Yeah. Yeah. tough that that's i mean there i think there's a point where if you're that far down into depression and uh 
that self-pity. It is tough to get out. I, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. There's been many times when I had that self-pity and many years before I really got clean and sober, uh, I, I could not find a way out of that self-pity mode and that depression. It was feeling sorry for myself. And it was it, it lasted for days or weeks or even longer. But when I got the tools, whether it was through counseling or mm -hmm. cognitive behavioral therapy or AA or whatever the case in that area, um, I got those tools and I, I was able to pull myself out of that. I mean, it's, it's a little self-talk where you got to, you know, it's not picking yourself up by the bootstraps. It's not the same thing, no. but it's just digging deep down. And there's a place there that, uh, you know, spirit, soul, that you reach where it's like, okay, come on, you can get out of this. It's it's encouraging yourself and, 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 and positive. Trying, it comes from somewhere I can't explain, I guess. No, I, I know exactly though what you mean that it just, it's there and you, you've got to tap to into it. Access. Yeah. Um, and that can be, again, really hard to do. And I think, you know, like if it can feel like there's something not there when you're not tapping into that, right? Like if there's an emptiness. And I think that, that in so many people I've talked to, when there's that void, you got to fill it with something. And so for some people that's food, for other it's alcohol, it could even be like sex or other risky behaviors. Um, so that's kind of how a lot of this started for you, right? Was through self-medicating. Like, yeah, one, well, I mean, at, after you got through the traumatic childhood. Well, if I were to sum it up, I mean, it started for me at like 13 years old, drinking and then smoking marijuana and having sex. Excuse me. It wasn't so much the sex part, although that was a part of it. The bigger thing was the alcohol. Excuse me. And uh, I, at that age, my parents were, there was a, it was really tough in the marriage at this time. And there was uh, a couple of years before that, I had witnessed my father choking my mother on the kitchen floor. And I remember all of us in the kitchen, you know, screaming, stop and, I'll never forget that moment, but uh, I, I believe after that time passes, if you haven't resolved that, I'd never talked to anybody about it. Once that incident happened, we didn't talk about it. We just went our separate ways and life went on, but that stuff was still there. And I think on a subconscious level, not resolving that or having someone to talk to about it, mm -hmm. that, you know, I saw my mother, she dealt with it by drinking on, on weekends. She'd get together with my aunt and drink on weekends and I witnessed that behavior around that age. And I thought, well, geez, she's getting all happy. She gets happy when she drinks and has a good time. Well, that was my next step. And, and I use that. I'm not blaming my mother. It's just that I use that as a template for my behavior and dealing with the traumas. Right. So, so that's when it started. And uh, it, uh, you know, it was numbing yourself so you didn't have to feel. Every time, whatever right. trigger came up that brought it up, You'd want to push it back down. And I learned that alcohol did a good job with that for a short time. Until yeah, it's one of the, it works until it doesn't. Right. right and I think, right. you know, and I know that, that you used other substances, but I think with alcohol in particular and, and now marijuana as well, it's almost alcohol, like an acceptable 
the great it's an it's an acceptable way to self-medicate yeah Right. You know, I mean, how many times do you hear like a mom be like, oh, well, when my kid goes to bed, I'm going to drink a glass of wine or I had such a rough day at work. I'm going to pour myself a whiskey while I, you know, whatever, like that. It's acceptable. Now, if somebody was like, I'm going to go home and uh, shoot up some heroin, we would all be like, oh, no, you have a problem. I tried that once. It didn't yeah. work for you <laughs> oh. or well, did it work too well for you? I, at that time, I had been separated from my wife, then wife, and uh, I moved out. I filed for the separation because she she wouldn't agree to going to marriage counseling. So I'd given her an ultimatum. I said, either we go to help help us out or I'm filed for separation. And she, she agreed to it. And then the day before the meeting, she backed out. So I filed for separation. And during that separation, I was I was in bad shape. I went Full tilt out of drinking, got into cocaine, started uh, uh, smoking marijuana. All this at the same time, on top of my prescription medication. And I was then I was taking Depakote, Lactamol, Visteral, um, uh, Wellbutrin, and I mean that's that's just crazy. And I someone you, you can't be in your right mind when you do that. And well, uh, because of the pain of the separation is I, it took me to a dark place. And finally somebody offered me some to try heroin. And I said, what the hell? I didn't care. I want, I was at the point where I didn't want to live. And so I know that you worked for years in the correction, you know, world, right. In jails or prisons as a corrections officer. Yeah. So I imagine then you saw a lot of the aftermath, if you will, of, I'm sorry, what drug, was that? Like the aftermath of drug addiction oh, yeah, or yeah. like what, yes. you know, what it looks I, like on the other side. You know, you picking up on that, Amanda, is, uh, that's important to me because after I got after I got sober and that was 2005, um, I began working in um, I worked in an alcohol and substance re, uh, rehabilitation center as a, a residential counselor. And then uh, I also worked uh, for a short time and child uh, protective services. So when you brought that up, it just, it, it reminded me of when I was doing those things. And the last part of that was working in uh, uh, child protective services. I saw the beginning of what it was like. I saw the, 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 the middle, which would have been prison or mm -hmm. it could have been the end too. The, the, the end would have been prison, but uh, working in a, a rehab, seeing people struggling with trying to get, get, through the other side, I saw from three perspectives and it was a unique perspective for me. And I, you know, you mentioned that and I'm glad, you know, you're the so, first one that, that, that said that, that mentioned well, that. I'm So I'm curious then, you know, you, does like to me, and I've, I've never been, you know, to prison or incarcerated, but I've always wondered if being incarcerated makes that worse, whatever, it is, you know, if there's treatment, if it's, I don't know, I, I feel like, I guess, there's, I guess there's a way if you want to look at it, if I may uh, interject, if you want to look at it in this, from this point of view, uh, I was in, I worked in state, New York state corrections uh, for uh, 19 years. And during those years, uh, I, I maintained sobriety, I think for out of those 19 years, probably seven months. 
Now, I wasn't drinking heavily throughout those 19 years because when I got married, I didn't, you know, I, I tried to cool it. And then, of course, when the, 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 the pressures of work and the things that happen at work, the PTSD started affecting my marriage. And then my marriage was starting to fall apart. Um, the drinking picked up. But if you can imagine with, with an inmate, someone who's incarcerated for whatever they did, uh, you know, they suffer probably more than likely from, from sexual abuse, child abuse, uh, emotional abuse, you know, the whole right. spectrum. And they're in there. And of course, you can't get drugs and alcohol just as easily on the outside, if not easier uh, in some uh, instances. But for the most part, they're denied that ability to numb themselves. Uh, so having said that, that comes out in rage and anger, fights, murders that they still happen in prison. But that that outlet that, you know, it's not a good one. It's not the right choice, but it it, it right. would help them manage their emotions. But that, a lot of that's taken away when you go to prison. Now, for me, being in those 19 years, uh, I was able to cope with being in that environment. And I had the opportunity to, to drink or take drugs to, to manage my emotions over all of that. Right. So uh, I guess the point being is that when you're in prison and you, you get those uh, goodies taken away, uh, if they're not addressed, which they usually try to do through counseling and, and that kind of thing, mm -hmm. And, and uh, recreational activities to release all that stuff. It's, it's 10 times as tough. I, I don't know if I answered your question. Did I answer your question? No, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, yeah, like being in prison has got to be hard, right? But it sounds like, you know, and it's an we, understatement. Yeah. Um, You're in a place you know, that no one wants to be, basically. Yeah. I mean, I, I worked, we, touched on this before we started recording, but your brother died of, of AIDS in 93 is what you said. Yep. Um, yep. Well, I worked in, a, in an AIDS hospice in, in here in Dallas um, in the early 2000s. So we were, you know, starting to get out of that AIDS as a death sentence, but we still didn't have as much, um, as many treatment options. Um as we do now. And I would often get called to the jail because they didn't want people to die in jail. They'd rather, they'd rather me deal with them than, especially cause this was the County jail, not the, oh. not a prison. Um, and so the few times that I went into the jail, it was uncomfortable for me. I mean, it was loud. It was, I mean, so loud. Um, I didn't even, it's wild. I didn't feel safe there. Um, I'm definitely hearing impaired partially because of that. Yeah. And, and so I just know how uncomfortable it was for me knowing that I was only there, you know, for an hour, you know, this one time and it may be another two months before I'm here for another hour. So you talked about like PTSD. Was that where some of that came from? Like the noise, the well, violence, the... Yeah. Um, it's there, there are moments, there are incidences that um, I couldn't talk about without starting to cry. 
because that, that PTSD kicks in when you relive something. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if you're actually feeling those feelings that you know. Right. You oh, yeah. I hope your listeners, uh, if they don't, with, with PTSD, that post-traumatic stress syndrome being uh, some traumatic incident happens. And years later, if you're triggered or if you recall the memory, you actually feel those feelings again as if mm-hmm. it's happening again and reliving it. And, and so I, until I got through with, uh, got through that with therapy, many years of therapy, uh, I would, I would cry telling the story, but yes, I mean, if you, uh, without getting graphic, I mean, there's, there were incidents and stabbings and, 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 and blood and, and, and constant fights. Uh, one of the facilities I work at was, which was at my, the facility that I, I, uh, at the, uh, in the city I grew up in um, was one of the tougher uh, facilities, prisons. And it seemed like every day, I mean, there's uh, close to, I think 1,800 inmates. I can't remember exactly the number, but uh, there was a fist fight. There was a stabbing. There was a beating. I mean, this was, it seemed like a daily thing one, one mm-hmm. summer, which I guess you wouldn't say it's unusual, uh, but it happened more often than at the other facilities I'd worked at. So it was difficult with the noise with threats. I, I, I personally had had a, a threat from an inmate that uh, wrote letters to Governor Cuomo, who at the time, his office, and the NAACP that he was going to kill me. And uh, a supervisor pulled me aside into his office and said, this is what's going on. We, 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 We've got a problem here. And it all stemmed from uh, a time that I'd written an inmate up. And uh, the inmate would harass me, say, he was getting to me. He was he was riding me pretty good and he was getting to me. And uh, this was after his disciplinary time and, and, you know, just walking by each other. It was just nonstop. And I... I had lost control. I had made a choice to assault this this inmate because I was scared for myself. And uh, when I did that as a professional, that was I think that was about the beginning of the end. And that was I think I resigned from uh, corrections a year after less than a year after that happened, because that's that wasn't me. That was not me. And this kind of environment, this dynamic that you have to uh, navigate can be very difficult his I, my story uh shows that uh i i had to get out of there so um, and i think it's interesting that you said you made the choice you know yeah. that you acknowledge that, that that was a choice you made and also it sounds like it was a choice you made out of fear out of protecting yourself maybe you know that wasn't really where you were in danger but you wanted it to stop you wanted to yeah, feel I wanted safe. it to stop and it didn't it only got worse after that and eventually um they had to transfer the inmate to a facility way up in upstate new york near the canadian border that's how serious it was so and that alone has to be terrifying just because well, it's Somebody's in prison, and clearly they know how to commit crimes. I mean, maybe not get away with them, but they commit them. Well, you know, um, 
I, I, in my book, you know, I talk about my experiences there and, and there's other ones that, you know, I, been involved in and, 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 or, and, or witnessed that, uh, it, it really, um, takes a toll on the psyche because I mean, although my home was fine, my violent in the sense, my father tried to discipline us the way he did to see the type of violence I saw in prison was just a whole nother level of, of violence. Right. So uh, psychologically, I can't explain or articulate how it affects each individual, but, uh, prison reform, I, you know, that that's, I don't know what that means anymore because, you know, it's still stuff still goes on. I'm, I'm fairly right. certain that these kinds of things still happen. And it's, it's, is the, the answer to incarceration or the way we incarcerate, uh, I think it has to change. It just turns out more violent people. It, it, it engenders more behavior, whether it's drugging and drinking or whatever they do. And once right. they get out. So I yeah. don't, I don't think I've often said that I feel like our justice system is punitive and not reformative, right? Like it's all about punishment. And I think that it's important that people are punished. I also think that we should help them with job training and to make sure that when they get out, they're not repeating well, that right. same cycle. Well, you know, it's, there's a lot of variables to this, this, the answers to the questions of prisons. Right. Um, there's stories that I didn't even include. Uh, there was a time in a facility that I worked where the grand, uh, what do they call them in the KKK, the grand, uh, wizard is a wizard or something a gram something or other uh he was a correction officer and he he was he was even in the newspaper there was an article and yeah he was a part of it but of course he spawned his story as something else and i it's been back in the early 80s and i you know i i thought that was ironic that even that the guy admit that but you know, that it's, you know, the, the stuff that goes on in the prisons, whether it's racism, bigotry, it's systemic. Like, like oh, they yes. talk about, they, they, then they talking about this woke stuff and it's like, no, we're just bringing it and trying to evolve as human beings to make things better. Well, and, you know, you kind of mentioned this too, like stopping the, the, I think this may have been even when we were talking before, stopping the generational things right like doing better than the generation before us right breaking the cycle yeah and and so the way that our system is with prisons like we're not set up to break that cycle uh which is disappointing um and like you said earlier that you kind of saw all these different places like right from cps to working in these treatment facilities with teenagers all the way to incarceration so when you're and working myself, with these myself being i was uh i wasn't formally arrested but i had a dw in my dwi myself back in the early 80s when i took this job i got that and uh so i was also in two rehabs so i seen it from both sides experienced it from both sides yeah so like what would you know i know that when i've talked to a lot of people and and you talked about being an AA, 
I think community is crucial to mental wellness and healing. Um, oh, yes. So, so what do you like? I mean, you said, oh yeah. So besides AA, what are other places that you think people can get involved to help with their their own healing journey? Well, depending on what you know, I mean, if there there's people with mental illness who don't have a drinking or drug problem. Um, for those, I can only speak on from my point of view going through it, you know, uh, in right. a lot of mental illness results from the use of alcohol and drugs, you know. So I, and this is an important point of the whole book is to remember that, um, and for those people who are listening uh, out there that you're never alone. You, you When you're in your deepest, deepest depths of uh, depression or uh, helplessness or feeling worthlessness that you're not alone. Um, and we discussed this before the recording about, you know, getting out of that hole uh, where, where you can talk yourself up and, you know, get yourself mm -hmm. some help. Um, it's going to be different for each individual, but I would say, you know, going to AA, if you, you have a drinking problem, uh, uh, helps, uh, reaching out for help. Uh, if being an adult, I can speak from being an adult point of view to go to a employee assistance program coordinator, uh, speaking with mm -hmm. them. And I left a number of, uh, phone numbers in my book, SAMHSA, the drug hotline, um, uh, uh narcotics hotline, uh, yeah. narcotics anonymous, uh, abuse, mm -hmm. all that's in my book, but it's just picking up the phone uh, is one way. Um, you know, I, there, there, there are ways of doing it. Um, talking to a family member. Um, well, you know, one of the things I love right now is that, you know, the suicide hotline number, they shortened to just 988. That's it. It's just three numbers. Oh, yeah. Like 911, it's 988. Yes, it's 988. And the thing that I think is awesome about it is that you can text it. So you can yes. have a text conversation with someone. And sometimes it's hard just to get on the phone or to talk. And it's, you know, so if that's where you need to start is with a text message to someone, start there. Yes. Whatever, I, whatever works for you. Right. And I'm glad you brought that up. And I, I, I kind of, uh, um, stumbled a little on that uh it's it's important like you said you know having a three-digit number to make a phone call uh to reach out uh i i know like for me uh in how i was raised that it, it, they it's a sign of weakness you know if you ask for help you know pull yourself up by the bootstraps all that nonsense um that was how i was brought up and my parents didn't know how to deal with my mother mostly didn't know how to deal with it. My father didn't want to have anything to do with it. He, he had his own issues. Right. But uh, trying to be that strong person and, and, and move through it without asking for, I could not be here right now. If I didn't ask for help, I could not be here. I would be dead. I, I think one of the strongest things that many people can do is ask for help. That takes I, courage. It I really, because who wants to admit that they're so broken that they can't function, 
right? No one. I mean, we don't want to appear weak like that. Um, And, you know, I think both of us got lucky in that, you know, we found people that could help us and we, and we wanted the help. Right. Well, you got to want, as far as the alcohol and substance abuse, you got to want, want to get better. Okay. Um, You've got, but um, my initially when I, I was in AA since 1984 and I have not admittedly have not attended a lot of uh, meetings in the past couple of years, but uh, I had been in and out and the biggest problem I had was acceptance. I couldn't accept the fact that I had a problem because that part where I'm strong and tough, you can't, you can't ask for help. If people see you're weak, that's when they pounce, you know, that kind of mentality, right. which is not true. I mean, that's, you know, was, I mean, and especially being in a, the correction, you know, department, right. That's what you saw was people that showed weakness were. Oh, the first they, ones. that's, that's a good juxtaposition. You know, that reinforced that feeling of I can't be weak because this is what's going to happen if I show that I'm weak. It it always took until the last time I went back to AA, it always took someone else to say, hey, you better get help or you need help or you're going to lose your job. And and sure, that's a great like motivation in the beginning. But if you're not ready to deal with all that like underneath stuff that we've kind of touched on it's not going to stick because you start dealing with that hard stuff. All those emotions come back. I don't want to feel this. So I'm going to. Right. It's, that's, it's it's tough to be in that position. It's a, it's a, it's a fine line where, you know, you need help, but you don't want to appear weak. And it's, I, it's just moving past it. And just, it takes the simple choice saying, I need help. Help me. And and going like also to the person that's got the expertise or the skills and I'm willing to do whatever I need to do to get better. That's right. Nothing comes between me and my sobriety. One, one old timer taught me and that, that was one of the, there's a number of things that I remembered, but the one was nothing, not your girlfriend, not your wife, not your children. Nothing comes between your sobriety, meaning, you know, well, if it got to go to a meeting, well, I got to take my kid to the ball game. Well, you're going to miss this one. Get to the meeting if you need it. You know, it's it's because putting yourself first. It seems selfish, but it's the only way you can get better. I I think that self-care and I think that like an AA meeting is can be part of self-care. I think that not taking care of yourself is selfish. Yeah. Because if you're, if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't take care of other people, right? You don't have the yeah. self-care trumps everything. And, you know, I, I always liken that if you're like the sun of your world, like of your solar system, right? We need our sun to make things grow and to, you know, keep us in orbit and all of that. And so if we're not there, like things aren't growing, you know, in our solar system, the planets are spinning out of whack. And so you've got to take care of yourself. And if you go, yeah, if you go to that AA meeting and you stay sober, that's way different than going to that baseball game for your kid, but ending up back in the bar, you know, or whatever. Missing all the games and missing all the games because you're, but uh, you know, I, I did want to point out too that, that, uh, 
uh, my book is uh, the, the main thrust of my book was, first of all, I was to help myself uh-huh. and to help others. I want that service to others for me. And telling my story, I believe it would, if people read it, it would, they would see the choices I made. They would see the mistakes. They would see how I got to recovery and maybe identify with something in there that would help them, let them know that they're never alone. And to seek help, that book is to seek help, to, to, to allow people to see, um, go get the help. It'll change your life. I got to do stuff in my life that I never would have done if I hadn't gotten that help. The dreams that I had when I was young couldn't have been fulfilled if I hadn't got asked for help. And I, you know, the title of it is it's an inside job kid, right? Like, and that's the thing is it is inside us, right? We're the, we're the ones that have the control. It it is inside, right? Yes. And I I wanted, you know, I, I had done another podcast uh, this week and I, I wanted to point that out and forgot, but the, the title in and of, of itself is the whole book also. There's many components. That it's the whole book. But this part, it's an inside job, kid. That was told to me by an old man who probably had close to 40 years in AA. And he joined AA in the late 40s. He had a lot of wisdom. And I remember him. He'd take people under his wing, you know, and I happen to be fortunate enough to know him. And one time I was complaining about something I didn't know what to do. And there was really no answer for what I was asking, I guess. But after the meeting, he came up to me and, you know, he said, he always said, boy, you know, hey, boy, come here. I want to talk to you. And he would look at, he would look you in the eye and point to his temple and say, it's an inside job, kid. And I always left that with me and made an impression that, you had to go within to understand how to help yourself. And that gets, I don't want to get metaphysical or anything, but you have to go inside and figure out what's going on. Like in the big book, it's, there's a part and I forget which chapter uh, and it goes something like this. And I'm paraphrasing it. Uh, It's been a while, but drinking uh, wasn't the, the, the cause of our problems. It was what, what was going on that caused the drinking that you had to address. Uh-huh. And that was the inside job, whether the trauma, something you experienced in your childhood, whatever it was, was the problem you had to deal with it. But we as alcoholics didn't want to face that. We didn't, we just would rather drink than have and, to face our past, basically. And I'm going to link this back to the community thing. One of the things that I think is important about the 12 steps is it's right. Step one is we, the first word of the first step is we, right? Right. Mm -hmm. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol and our lives have become unmanageable. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, you know, we is really important. Like it's a group thing. Like you're not in this alone. Right. Right. And when I had, you know, clients in the past who struggled with the God piece, you know, I would, you know, I heard this from someone that trained me, but God can be a group of drunks. Well, like a group yeah. of drunks, G-O, 
D, right? That lives within all of us. So whatever the, the source, the power of the universe, whatever, as they say, whatever you want to call that power greater than yourself runs through all of us from every living thing, everything that exists, I believe, and, is connected. And, I, and whatever helps you get well, whatever that well looks like for you and what you want for your life, whatever gets you there, that's what that's what you do. Yeah. Now, yeah. as long as it's not like, I always say like, do whatever works for you as long as you're not harming anyone, yourself or someone else. Um, but yeah, I mean, if going to AA works great for you, awesome, go to AA. Right. If hiking in the woods There's works many for you, different paths to sobriety, to, to getting well. It's, you know, you could use AA, the hiking, whatever gives you that, that inner peace and understanding of how to treat yourself well and treat others well and uh, make your dreams come true. Whatever that is for you, that works for you. That's what it is. And, I mean, you know, for, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you, you go. Oh. I was going to say uh, AA uh, helped me immensely. And the people, like some of the people said, you know, we'll love you till you love, learn to love yourself. And I, I think that's important. There's so many different platitudes and, and sayings that, that that do make a difference. One day at a time, this too shall pass. Um, they they all help whichever okay. one you prefer. Right, and you know, halt, like, am I hungry, angry, lonely, tired? I halt, yep. Pick I, up the I, phone, even if it's just to say hello. You, you can't say, well, I don't have a problem, why should I call? Well, if you're thinking about it, something's going on, make the phone call, you know? And this is the thing is sometimes that phone call isn't actually for you. It's for the other person. There you go. That's true too. That's so true. And you and end up serving someone and, and getting out of your own head and helping someone else. And I think service community, like I'm just going to, so often I'm going to bring it back to like our overall societal well-being is better when we are all working together and we're showing up for each other. Um, yeah. And that can be hard because we can feel like we're all on different teams and different sides. But at the end of the day, like we're here together. We are. And it's, you know, all the stuff that's going on in the world today, it's it's heartbreaking. It's frustrating. It's scary. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are feeling quite lost and confused. Um, but it is a it is a we. Well, a is a we program, but when you think about the entire world, we're all connected. I mean, again, without getting too metaphysical, it's if if we don't, it's like if we don't evolve and change and grow and go forward instead of going backwards, uh, we're in a lot of trouble. But it's I don't know. I don't have the answers. I don't pretend to. And, I, I, you know, I, I want to be of help. I I wish I had the answers for people. But what we've discussed today, I I just hope that there's someone or some that that gets something from it and and you know go out there and help someone else. Exactly, and I think you know, like the title of your book, it's inside. Like you've got to do work on the inside, but also you're not alone in that. Whether you know, like yeah, here, like there's two of us right here that. I imagine, you know, I know for myself, when people come to me, I'm right there to help them. And I'm also right there to say, you know what, I want to help you. But right now I can't because I've got to take care of myself. 
but here are some resources or here are some other yes. people that can show up for you. If I don't um, have the answer, I'll do my best to find one for you or find someone who can find it for you. And, yeah. And back to that, we back to that like community. And also we have to do it, do some of it ourselves. We can't just sit back and be along for the ride. You know, in, in this day and age, it, it is tough uh, for people to, to, to trust others uh, I, I'm seeing a lot of evidence of that, of that. And when you, and, and you keep mentioning community and it, it is so important. And I think that's, that's big for you. It sounds like it's a big thing for you in order to help, you know, mm -hmm. when, when you're talking about mental illness for one, uh, you know, it's, it's like trusting your neighbors. I, I, I mean, we've been here for five years and we just, you know, it takes some time to build mm -hmm. some trust and, and reaching out and being a community. Now we're helping each other as neighbors. We're looking out for each other's house when we're away. Uh, we're, we're pretty soon we're looking forward to playing cards with our neighbors. And they're, they're a little older than us, but uh, not by much, but you know, it is, it is a we thing and it is community. And uh, it seems like there's some force out there, whatever it is, that's trying to disturb that. You know, and that I people know. are so mistrustful. It's we're going backwards instead of, you know, you know, like yeah. like what, what's the old song there? The the Coca Cola song they used oh, to seventies. Um, um, I can't uh, think of it. But the one, a, hands across America, right? With the it's kind of like that. But there was a it was a Coca Cola commercial that we together are you know whatever the song was. I forgive me, I can't remember it. But I'm gonna find it. Going and... in that direction, it seemed after the sixties, but. Now it's like we've re reversed direction, you know? And and that, I think, can lead to more substance use, more... Yeah, people when you don't, that. Like, when you don't feel connected, one, you might just go inside, right, yourself and say, I don't like this, so I'm just going to numb it with whatever. Or I'm really anxious being out with people, so I'm going to numb it. Or I don't Before. want to be with other people because I don't trust them. I'm just going to stay here and drink, you know, or drug or whatever it is. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's not having a good effect. And another thing I noticed is, and I don't know when this happened, but I remember in the early late seventies, early eighties, they they uh, the government had restricted beer commercials and cigarette mm -hmm. commercials, things like that. Well, that's back again, and I kind I kind of find it fascinating. I, I saw, I was watching a program. I forget which channel it was. I think it was, I don't know if it was, I don't know which channel it was, so I'm not going to try and guess. But there was a Chevis Regal commercial. There was a Miller Lite commercial, consecutive. And then they went to another commercial. It was another bear commercial. Another channel, it's, uh, they're, they're, they're pushing the uh, the drugs the, to, for depression and, you know, this and that, which is fine, but it's like, they're just preparing people for coping skills that are not really the best ones to use. Well, and it's, I would almost argue that they're not really coping skills. It's like a, you know, it's almost just like a little band-aid. We're not going to like treat the infection or treat the oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yes. Right. It's just like, let's slap this thing on here, but not actually like figure out how to figure out what, get the, you well. what the problem is. And, yeah. you know, so you got to look inside, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, again, I, 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 I'm excited and I'm so happy you gave me the opportunity to talk 
um, you know, after COVID, it's a lot of people have been isolated and a lot of this stuff has picked up since then. So there are people that are feeling lonely, confused and scared. And what do you do instead of talking to each other? We've been divided and they're going to substances or and, you know, bad behaviors, whatever that. Whatever it is. And it's, it's not working for a lot of us. And so I hope that people will, you know, go read your book and realize that they have a lot of say and how they show up. Too. There's commonality with dealing with life. Yeah. We're not I alone hope. in this. Like there's so, so many of us are dealing with so many of the same things that if we just join forces that maybe we can figure out how to collectively get better and maybe even fix the system a little. Well, make change and evolve as human beings and be, be more understanding and kinder and res respecting of uh, people's points of view, you know? Yeah, which can be hard, yeah. um, but we're all valuable, so... I, I really do thank you so much, Steve, for joining me and sharing your story and your book and and some of your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure being on here, Amanda. And, and thank you for you know, I'm not too experienced at doing podcasts. This is only my second one. So oh, well, thank you for, for coming on and, and talking with me. Yeah. I think your message is is powerful. Well, um, well, thank you. I, I, I just hope that it helps somebody. It, that would mean so much. That's, I spent, it's been close to four years now working on this. I try to edit myself. Then finally, I, I put a lot of money into this, which is not the point, but oh, it means that much to me to get that message out. I, yes, like this podcast, I'm not making money from it, right? I've, I've spent money on websites and microphones and computer programs, like all of that. And it's because I want people to know they're not alone and to know there's help and to know that, and you that know, it, it gets better. And they're resilient. Yes. We're all re we have the resilience it takes to move through whatever we're going through. Uh, they say, if you're going through hell, keep on going to get out the other side. Yeah, which can feel like it's really long and hard yeah. to get to that other side. And yeah. what I'll tell you, and, and I think you would tell people the same thing, is is it's worth it. It is worth it. It is. I mean, um, there's moments when you just don't want to go on. But I'm here to tell you, go beyond. Get through it. You will get through it. And it'll be worth every moment. It will be worth it. It is worth it. It is yeah. worth it. And you, like you... Whoever you are, that's you are worth it. Like you are valuable and the world needs you. Yes. So, and don't be afraid to ask for help. Do it. If you have children, you're, you, you, the changes, you. the things that you could do in this world by staying here and being here and helping others will be worth every moment. Yes. I, I don't know how else you could emphasize it. No. And, and so Life is so, it is. Yeah. Thank you. And um, you can find Steve's book on Amazon and I'm going to put a link um, in the show notes so that yes, you can find that. Oh, so you can listen to it as well, which is yes. fantastic. Um, and really would encourage you to, to read or listen to his story because it's, 
It's powerful. There's other books that appeal to you out there that are, uh, um, whether it's self-help or, or whatever the case, do it, go for it. Do yeah, it. just read, educate yourself. So, yes. so yeah. thanks, um, Steve, so much for, for joining me. And um, so with that, we have reached the end of today's episode. And thank you so much for listening and learning more about how mental health and society meet. Now go out and open a conversation and discover how mental health is experienced in your world. You can find more uh, episodes of The Mental Society in all of your uh, favorite places to find podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube. And please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on anything. There are also a whole lot of other resources and articles on our website, thementalsociety.com. In the show notes, I'm going to link um, some of the additional things that uh, Steve mentioned as well. And um, remember that you're not alone in your struggles, that hope and help are all around you. And until next time, this is Amanda Dolan, wishing you good health, mental and otherwise. 